and welcome to On Focus, brought to you by the Focal Therapy Clinic, where we connect you with issues facing men diagnosed with prostate cancer that are little known, less understood, often avoided, or even ignored. Prostate cancer is now the most commonly diagnosed cancer amongst men in the UK. And with this somber fact comes a multitude of challenges and opportunities. I'm Claire Delmar. Joining me today is urology consultant, Tim Dutteridge, who works with the Focal Therapy Clinic and is based at University Hospital in Southampton. Tim is an innovator in focal therapy and has co-investigated most of the clinical trials and studies that have built the evidence base for focal therapy and advanced its adoption in practice. He's recently been appointed as clinical champion for Prostate Cancer UK, which will give him even more impact on innovative clinical practices across the NHS. He's here today to talk with me about some of the new technologies that are coming through that we can expect to see impacting the experience and outcomes for men with prostate cancer. Tim, thanks so much for joining me. Welcome once again, and um, many congratulations on your appointment from Prostate Cancer UK. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Um, yeah, the, the Prostate Cancer UK project is, is really exciting because I get to work with some real leaders from all over the UK, not just urologists, but a whole range of uh, health professionals. And we're all going through this process together where we're sort of spurring each other on, supporting each other so that all of our uh, new, new projects can be successful. So I'm really looking forward to the next 18 months where we'll see our projects uh, come to life. We'll, we'll keep in touch with those. And, you know, we'll look forward to hearing you report on them in here, even on, on the podcast. So mm-hmm. look forward to hearing more. So let's just jump right in on this whole area around technology, because we hear so much bad news. You know, there's this cancer backlog and not enough early screening, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I thought this is an opportunity to be a little bit more sort of forward thinking as it were. And so one of the things I'm interested in getting your views on are you know, what you see as the areas in prostate cancer management that are really becoming transformational or you would expect to become so over the next few years. Um, and you know, just to give you some touch points, I mean, would these be around ablation or imaging or pathology? informatics, there's so many areas that, that the prostate cancer pathway touches on and, and they're all undergoing change. So I'm interested in your views. Well, I think this is a, an incredibly broad question because one of the things that attracted me to urology is the way that uh, technology was having a real impact in, in changing how we did, did things. And when I started, that was with you know, endoscopic surgery, laparoscopy. But of course, it, you know, as I focused in on prostate cancer, you know, and I look back over the past 20 years, you know, the first prostate biopsy I did was in 1998, and this was a finger-guided uh, true-cut biopsy using this metal gadget to drive the needle into the prostate. And, you know, I just think how things have changed. If you think about what technologies we could be referring to, you know, yes, you mentioned imaging with MRI, but there's functional imaging with PET-CT. We've got robotics, ablation modalities like high food cryotherapy, IRE, laser ablation, there's improvements in image-guided radiotherapy, the use of rectal spaces to reduce rectal toxicity, and uh, you know we're using computers to help guide the prostate biopsies. That where previously the job was done with my finger, you know. So there's such a range. I think the the biggest of all of these has got to be imaging, and simply because everything else that we're doing now with prostate cancer flows from having really accurate information about the location the extent and even the biology of the tumor. And so instead of having to rely on really random bits of information like we had with, you know, even just with transrectal ultrasound guided prostate biopsy, we now have quite precise information about the location and the nature of the tumor. 
And I think without that, really all of the other technologies don't have anything to work with. MRI has got to be the biggest one. And we may even find that PET-CT rivals it for its use in stratifying the risk of patients. Okay. So do you see that a, a massive change in performance in terms of accuracy coming ahead or is the... Is I, I think the biggest challenge, because I think we do now have very good scanners, good protocols, but I think we're not seeing a consistent level of performance across mm -hmm. the health economy, you know, health in you know, different countries, but also within the UK, mm -hmm. we're not seeing a consistent level of quality. So I think the next process really is to standardize and have minimum standards for the performance of MRI. So that's the acquisition of the images, you know, which device, which protocol, which, you know, which sequences we're using. There's, I guess, a big discussion about contrast or no contrast. If we're going to move to having no contrast as the sort of standard opening format of the MRI, then I think we need to make protocols so that very quickly the patients who may benefit from contrast get that. Uh, and I'm thinking particularly of those where focal therapy questions are being asked or even for active surveillance. You know, I think having the best quality imaging is, is most helpful in those cases. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But also the reporting format, you know, we've got to get some standardization so that we can have uh, images in the in the report, you know, demonstration of the lesion so that urologists can understand and help uh, make treatment planning decisions. And we may find that actually a lot of this is supported by machine learning and artificial intelligence types of uh, software that supports the radiologist in their reports mm -hmm. and may also be the, the backbone of um, having these image-based reports so that, that some of those key images are picked out and uh, can show the area of interest. It's interesting around when you mentioned machine learning and NAI, because of course that relies on lots of data to actually develop those tools. And I know we've talked in the past about how data is, is enabling the, the drive to give more evidence on focal therapy, for example. You were involved in a study earlier this year that used a database that we're involved in building. That, that was the heat registry, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, this tropical issue to discuss, right, just like even this week, because you know, the NHS has recently announced plans to use patient data to share with third parties. So I'm wondering how you think we can best use patient data going forward so that they improve the diagnostics and treatments for, for prostate cancer. Well, I think the first thing to say is, is that we really have to have patients on board. And I think one of the problems with the recent thing is that uh, patients feel like something's being stolen from them. And, and I think that we need to make sure that people have real confidence that whatever data is being taken, it doesn't in any way undermine their confidentiality, the security that they have that no one else is going to know about their medical situation other than their doctor. And at the moment, that trust isn't there. And I, so I think the, the government need to work on communicating how this data is going to be used, uh, for what purpose. They say they're never going to sell it, but these are the kind of concerns that patients have. But I think one of the things that you communicate is how valuable this sort of data can be in understanding you know, shifts in uh, the epidemiology of diseases. And, and it may even be helpful um, for spotting the benefits of certain types of treatments in, in big populations which is maybe a slightly different approach than is used in randomized control trials, but can be good for hypothesis generation. Mm -hmm. um, thinking particularly about prostate cancer, you know, that the heat registry is not that sort of data acquisition. It's, it comes from carefully selected and registered patients. Mm -hmm. and, and generally patients know with, within the NHS that if they're not going into a clinical trial, that they are by force of the guidelines required to be in registries. So I think that um, this is sort of mandatory at the moment. You know, uh, I think we could have more support for gathering data in these innovative areas of medicine so that a bit like in a research trial, 
there, there, there's a resource there for the nursing staff and the, the research staff to actually gather this data and input it. Uh, that is harder when you're dealing with non-research setting, um, innovative treatment uh, kind of mm. uh, investigation. And I think that the NHS could do better at that maybe. But I think that the other thing we have is these big cancer registries. If they have enough granular detail in them, then actually we can use those registries really well. And we've seen a great example with the National Prostate Cancer Audit. This has been a really valuable resource for learning mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. changes. And we can start to um, you know, expand on those kind of studies as we get more and more data uh, mm-hmm. collected. And actually prove to people that they're, they're having real value. Yeah, and I think also at the moment that's mostly about prostatectomy, but I think you know maybe it can be expanded to include other treatments. Mm, yeah. uh, and I think focal therapy being incorporated in something like that, it would almost make the uh, the heat registry uh, redundant in the same way we saw the BAS uh, prostatectomy uh, registry sort of uh, downgraded uh, because we're starting to get this collection of data in a more routine fashion, and the mm-hmm. the data quality is is better because it's been. Uh, properly resourced and I think if we're going to push to have focal therapy as a standard treatment uh, then you know like the other standard treatments in prostate cancer I think the data collection should be incorporated into these big registries uh, so that it can be collected in in an easier fashion for all of the centers involved. Yeah Yeah. interesting I mean it's one thing to have data and, and technology as we've been discussing and another to actually implement these through clinical practice. So as a, as a focal therapy pioneer, you know all about this, I guess. I mean, can you describe some of the challenges you faced in implementing new technologies into practice? I think the first and probably the easiest is the, the technical skills. I mean, I, I think as surgeons, we're naturally um, inclined towards learning new technical skills and that's what we're good at. And that's why we became surgeons. But I think the harder things are, getting your colleagues on board. Uh, you know, whenever you're, whenever you're doing something new, as the pioneer, you, you feel, I guess, individually convinced of the merits of doing this new thing and you feel that there's an advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's so many other people that you interact with who sort of need to be similarly inclined and that's hard and you don't always uh, get everybody on board and so you end up in some conflict. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, the first phase of introducing this new technology is to kind of um, go through that process and learn to deal with the conflict and manage it. I guess the next phase is uh, learning to explain the uncertainties, it's certainly with prostate cancer, it's full of um, uncertainties and learning how to explain the risk of different competing issues. Mm-hmm. And, and I think when you're introducing something new, which perhaps is a useful uh, challenge to some of the difficulties of existing treatments, you need to explain, yes, this is a new and untested treatment, but on the other hand, it, it reduces some of the known harms of the, the current treatment. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so that process of explaining uh, that so that patients are making a decision to enter a trial or try, some, try a new treatment, you know, that they're doing that uh, fully informed of the, the pros and cons. Mm-hmm. And that, again, takes a lot of time. And, and you know, after a few years of doing it, I, I really feel like I'm quite good at that now. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, the other challenge which I'm not so good at is trying to um, fit these new technology solutions into the sort of NHS economy. And that means, you know, what code do you use? You know, is this treatment cost effective? Mm -hmm. Uh, Can the hospital financially kind of come out neutral with something new? Because of, you know, the costing of these things is not always clear and and, uh, the remuneration that the that the hospital gets is, is undefined. So Mm -hmm. I, I, I think this is a big challenge, which, you know, you really need to have good connections with the finance people in hospitals to to be successful in introducing uh, new technologies. That's an interesting one. I mean, actually something else to 
pursue down the road because it's only going to be getting more so, I guess, you know, as there's all these uncertainties about what the harms are, but what the benefits are, as you say. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, you know, final question for you is, you know, in terms of prospective patients listening, what, what emerging technologies do you think that men really should be aware of if and when they are diagnosed with prostate cancer? I think the most important is to know whether their MRI scan was up to scratch. Mm-hmm. And, and I think almost the best time to ask that question is before you've had it, because it's a difficult question to ask, you know, if, at your local hospital, you know, what, what's the protocol of your MRI? Mm. Do you use contrast? You know, it, it's, it's, I guess, perhaps not what's on your mind at the time. But the, the main thing to be aware of is that once you've had a biopsy, um, you've sort of lost your chance to repeat the imaging if it wasn't really good. So I think if people, you know, read about focal therapy and they are worried about prostate cancer, they go and have a PSA test and it looks like they need an MRI scan. It's, it's really worth trying to get an MRI scan done in a center where it's done really well. Mm-hmm. I think personally, I like MRI scans done with contrast, but I can understand why centers are doing them without. And I guess if you've got a, an MRI scan, which only shows sort of subtle or you know, minimal signs and it's uncertain what the nature of things is. That's, a, that's particularly the most, I guess, useful time when contrast can be helped. If you've got a prostate absolutely packed full of prostate cancer, it probably doesn't make any difference at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think uh, that's the first thing. The next thing is whatever treatment you're heading in the direction of, be aware of the experience of the surgeon and what technique they're doing. I don't think it has to be robotic prostatectomy. If your surgeon does the other form, either laparoscopic or open, really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's important. With, with radiotherapy, I think it's really important, you know, that they've got the, the latest sort of image-guided uh, radiotherapy techniques and, and the use of the rectal spacer. I think that's really helpful. Okay. In terms of other ablation techniques, you know, being in a place where you can access a conversation about focal therapy, I think that's really, really important. And uh, this is, I think, the big change that needs to happen in the NHS. I think we need to start to recognize that there is sufficient data to say this is an option. You know, we don't know that it's absolutely the same as surgery and radiotherapy in the long run, but we do know there are fewer side effects. And mm-hmm. so you've got that choice and, and, and understand the uncertainties. And when it comes to the, the, the technique of focal therapy, you know, we have HIFU, we have cryotherapy. There are other needle-based treatments that perhaps not as uh, well disseminated like uh, IRE, electroporation that is a, a prostate and laser ablation is something that may well come in in this country it's 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 already uh, quite commonly seen in america mm-hmm. so there are other radiotherapy techniques which get a, a bit of te- you know attention and um the proton beam is the kind of classic one my understanding is that this doesn't offer much of an advantage over conventional image guided radiotherapy but nevertheless the marketing of uh, uh, that type of uh, proton beam is, is quite uh, pronounced on the internet so a lot of men ask me about that and 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 you know th- there's bound to be other uh, novel things which come through and I think when it comes to those it's really important to recognize that you know there are some existing ablation type techniques which have got a, a lot of data to show that they're successful and I think before considering one of the newer ones it, you know I, I would make sure that you have spoken to your local focal therapist mm-hmm. because it can give you a bit of perspective about that whole field and uh, uh, you know, patients who rush off to Germany to have things done, you know, I think they sometimes find that they are so disconnected with the rest of their medical team um, that they don't really get a good experience. They might have sought out some new technique overseas, 
but actually then they're isolated and, and they don't have good communication about what's going on with their case. So I, I'd just be cautious about uh, traveling to get some uh, novel technique that hasn't mm-hmm, been proven. Mm-hmm. Well, Tim, thanks a lot. Um, this has been a kind of a whistle-stop tour of some really important emerging issues, but you've actually spoken to them, I think, in a really helpful way, and I'm sure there'll be more to come. So thanks so much for speaking today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And best of luck with the Prostate Cancer UK assignment. We'll really look forward to hearing what comes out of that. Further information on emerging technologies for focal therapy is available on our website, along with a transcript of this interview and additional interviews and stories about living with prostate cancer. Please visit www.thefocaltherapyclinic.co.uk and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Focal Therapy Clinic. Thanks for listening. And for me, Claire Delmar, see you next time. <music>